Welcome. Good morning. We made it through 2020 into 2021. All of our problems are behind us. Ahead of us is comfort and ease. Eat, drink, be merry, and enjoy uh, 2021. Uh, I was driving uh, home from the church, actually, last night, uh, and I pull up to the, he- uh, the red light there on Mission and Airport Road, and there's a plaid pantry right there. And I think I've been, gu- I've been duped by this a number of times. I just kind of want to uh, let you see the insanity that's inside of my mind. I want to begin with a little bit of confession. I want to show you what's inside of me uh, so that you know that I am I'm, uh, giving this sermon maybe primarily to myself. Uh, so I pull in, I stop at this red light, and uh, I look over at the plaid pantry, and they always have displayed in the window what the current jackpot is for the Powerball. And I haven't been paying attention for a couple of weeks. Holidays have been traveling. I look over, it's $410 million. And I'm like, and it, whenever it gets, I don't know, maybe above 400, I start to think, uh, yeah, maybe I should buy a ticket now. Right? As if like 40 million, which is what it opens at, isn't enough, right? 40 million, it's not even worth playing for. And I understand, like, the odds are exactly the same. Like, no matter what, uh, in Powerball, the odds of winning at 40 million are exactly the same. It's like one in 27.9 for any prize and one in whatever, whatever million or whatever. The odds are exactly the same. You just choose the right numbers or automatically choose the right numbers and you win the prize. And then, of course, you've got to decide if you're going to take the annuity or lump sum. And I start thinking, you know, it's just the logic. Well, what if I did win, you know? And then I'm, I, I capture my thought. I'm like, oh, Brandon, what do you... Lottery ruins people. It would be ruinous for you to win this. Like, there's so many documentaries about people who've won the lottery, and it just wrecks their lives and the relationships in their lives. But I find myself thinking about it and playing it out, and I actually start to kind of pitch the idea to God because I'm like, you know... God is in control of all things. And if I were to win the lottery, it would be because God has ordained it and said, Brandon, you are worthy of of carrying this weight and I'll be with you. And I I start pitching the idea to God and I say, I say, God, 440 or 410 million, you know, uh, I I would tithe. I could tithe, you know, 10% pre-tax, God, $41 million. That's all yours. Uh, and, and I start thinking of like all the good things we could do with that. And not just the 41 million, God, I, I'm not going to let it wreck my life. I'm going to give that money and I'm going to give it to, to, uh, to Tim Porter. He's a financial manager, uh, a, a certified financial planner, and he specializes in, in, in income producing investments. And, and so like, I'll give it to him and then I'll just have a, a, a check, a recurring check, and I can even tithe on that and I'll be giving that to God. And not only that, I'm going to be helping so many people. We'd build a homeless shelter. We'd fix Haiti and all of the, and like, you know, puppies or something for that. And, and, uh, and I'm, like, I'm like pitching the idea to God. And I said, well, but, but God, honestly, I, I am going to spend some on myself. Uh, I mean, I have a pool, but it's just one of those like above ground pools. And, and you know, I've always wanted one of those like, the, the pond style or whatever with like maybe like a grotto, a waterfall, a thing you can jump into. I mean, you know, something modest. And, uh, and, and God, if, I mean, I guess if I had all that money, I, I could build a bigger house. Then I could host community group in my house. And like it would, all be, it would all be about how much ministry I would do with that money. I would do so many good things 
With that money, I'd have to buy the property to the left and to the right for the motocross track. But and it, I'm going to need a tractor, too, if I'm going to you know, build the jumps for the track. But No, we all have this kind of like, man, if only. Once, man, if I had. And, 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 and honestly, for most of us, it's not usually uh, something so grand as winning $400 million in the lottery. It's actually usually something simple like, man, once I have that vaccine, then, you know? Or, man, once we don't have to wear masks anymore, ugh. Or, once I get this debt paid off, once I get this job, you know, think good things, but we're all kind of thinking about like this, this, this moment where we could finally rest, relax, eat, drink, be merry. And Jesus has something to say about that. And let's take a look. In Luke chapter 12, I, I look at this section, 8 through, through or, I'm sorry, 13 through 21, and I look at it and I say, I say, man, this could be taken so out of context because these, these verses, these, these eight verses or nine verses, seemingly talk about money and don't be greedy, but it's wrapped inside of a, a section about fear and, and anxiety and not worrying and so it has to be kept in context, but I'm going to focus on this one section of Scripture and talk about uh, our view towards our possessions. And let's see, and if I have enough time, I'll see if I can connect to how that fits into a discussion of fear and anxiety in this section of Scripture. So I want to set the scene. Pastor Matt Baldwin, he, he talked about the, uh, this, this, these first 12 verses in, in Luke chapter 12, and, and, he, and Jesus is teaching to a crowd. And if you look in 12 verse 1, it says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered, thousands of people Thousands of people had gathered to listen to Jesus. They were pressing in on each other. It says they were trampling one another. And in front of all of this crowd, what did Jesus do as these people are pressing in? It says right there in 12.1, and I missed this. I've always missed this. It was pointed out to me. It says, he began to say to his disciples, so there is a time when Jesus is allowing or is speaking directly to the crowd, but there is times where he is speaking directly to his disciples. So this smaller group, kind of like a classroom environment where he's just teaching his people, while thousands of people are pressing in to get closer, maybe Jesus isn't talking loud enough and people are wanting to hear his teaching, but there is onlookers as he's teaching his disciples. He's speaking to them. Sometimes he has something for them to hear. Sometimes Jesus has something for them to overhear. So he's inviting, he's okay with, he's inviting the skeptics. Come and see what it looks like to be my disciple. Come and see what it looks like to follow me. Because I'm going to teach these people who have already decided to be my disciples, and you just watch and see what that looks like. So if you're here, and you're on the sidelines, and you're maybe a skeptic, and you're wondering, what does this following Jesus look like? I invite you to do the same that happened here in Luke chapter 12, and press in and listen in to a discussion 
with Jesus and his disciples. And one of the things that I've been doing as I've been reading through uh, the, the book of Luke is not listening so much to the teaching of Jesus. I do, and I have, and I've spent my life doing that. But something unique about this season of my life, I think because of this book that we're reading uh, as a staff, Gentle and Lowly, I'm looking at the person, Jesus. How does he respond? What is his, his seemingly his, his stature? How, what is his posture? How does he respond to certain situations? How can I be more like Jesus? Not do the things he says, yes, but not only that, but be more like who he is. So I want... To, to have a special eye for what does Jesus look like? How does he respond in this situation? Thousands of people pressing in. He has something for his disciples. Feel free to listen in, guys, but I've got to talk with my disciples. And then he has this discussion with them about don't fear, and this is what Pastor Matt Baldwin talked about last week, don't fear about someone who can merely take your life and I, I was taken back by that. Merely take your life? What else is there to fear? There are so many things to fear between that and, and, and taking of your life. And Jesus says to them, don't fear of someone who can merely take your life. He says, if you're going to be afraid of something, fear God. And there are so many implications and so many applications of that. If you want to hear that discussion, I invite you to go back and listen to last week's message from Pastor Matt Baldwin on our podcast or on our app. It's fantastic. But building off of this idea that we have, we have something so much more to fear than losing our life, what is our life? There's something more. You see, Jesus is preparing his people for a movement. The author of Luke is also the author of Acts. And if you've read the book of Acts, it is the beginning of a movement. God's people, these are people who experienced Jesus and encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time in history and are sent out in mission. They are scattered across the earth and they suffered. They were killed. They were, they were crucified. And it was the most influential moment in the history of our, of our world. This, this moment when Jesus sends his people out. And so I believe what Luke is doing here is he's showing us how did Jesus prepare his disciples to live so radically? In order to live so radically that you would just sell all you have, be willing to give your life, that's, that's going to require a different way of thinking. And so when Jesus says, don't fear someone who can merely take your life, if you're going to fear something, fear God, there's greater implications than this life. Jesus is providing a mindset a way of thinking that's going to prepare them for some radical living. So let's dive into that. What's funny about this is he says this, this, this incredible kind of warning statement, like you're going to be in the place where you're about to be like taken down, and don't worry, God's going to give you the words. And that's right there in the verses before. And someone in the crowd, this is verse 13, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, there's like an interruption here. Remember, thousands pressing in, speaking to his disciples. Jesus is giving this profound message, and someone in the crowd is like, teacher, teacher. An interruption. 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Kind of an odd request. Like we're talking about like, if you're gonna fear something, fear God. What I believe is happening is probably something that we can all relate to. For this man, it was a monumental moment in his life. His dad had died, and he's the younger brother. And his older brother, who was probably, you know, at this time, would have been the executor of the estate and would have said, uh, you know, you, you get this amount, you get this amount, I need this amount to take care of the property. Uh, and, and his brother feels or fears that he's being mistreated. And it's not completely uh, unwarranted to ask Jesus this question because Jesus often taught about, uh, about, about money. In fact, he mentions money more than any other subject in the, in the book of Luke. And so to talk about inheritance wouldn't have been completely out of line. Jesus cared about this man. It's, Jesus has proven over and over that he's okay with interruptions. He's going to make time for every single person who, 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 who asks. He cares about every single one. But the moment feels a little bit odd, and Jesus' response is kind of a, 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 a gentle annoyance uh, because he, he, says, he says, man, and this is uh, verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Translated maybe might be like, bro, or dude, like, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And, and, and I don't want you to hear that and say, well, Jesus, Jesus obviously doesn't care about this man, because he, he does. He actually uses this question in kind of a, a judo, use your, use your question and, and give it back to you as kind of a teaching. I actually don't know a lot about judo, but I hear you use the attack against the person. I don't know. Was that judo that I did? I don't know. Uh, Jesus actually uses this, uh, this question to continue his teaching, the greater teaching about anxiety and fear, but specifically about using our focus on, on this life. What are our attachments in this life? What preoccupies our minds and our thoughts so much that we tune out? You know, maybe you've already tuned out from this sermon, uh, but uh, I, have de- I have definitely, it happens to me every time. Uh, you know, sermons around here are about 40 minutes long, and uh, I-, I am often catching myself like, oh, I cannot remember the last 10 minutes uh, of what was happening. And so maybe that's what was happening with this guy. Uh, like he just could not, uh, it was not paying attention to what Jesus was saying, but what was dominating his mind. And you might have something that is dominating your mind this morning. I've been talking for 15 minutes and you might not have ever stopped thinking about the one thing that you'd like to ask Jesus for help for. You might've been thinking already this morning about the thing that you know will fix your life. The thing that you know will finally give you that rest you desire. You might be thinking right now uh, about like what you would ask Jesus if you had him here. The thing that he could just fix in your life. And so he doesn't request it. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Kind of a sense of entitlement maybe. Maybe he's sitting on justice, but either way, he's saying to Jesus, I know what I need and I need it. 
I need you to give it to me. He's going to the right place. Jesus is the one who can ultimately satisfy what is missing in his life. But this man and what he wants to show this man, I believe gently, is that he doesn't even realize what he's asking for or that, and he's not even asking for the right thing. He goes on uh, and gives just kind of like a really great general wisdom statement. And he said to them, this is verse 15, okay? He said to them. So again, thousands pressing in. One man says, teacher, teacher. He says, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he turns again to them, the disciples, okay? So it's like, okay, I heard your question. I'm going to use your question, but I'm going to use your question to teach my disciples, okay? So then he tells them, he says, uh, this is verse uh, 16, I'm sorry, 15, and he said to them, his disciples, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So we are to be on guard about any time we look at what someone else has and we want it. This is a very dangerous thing. According to Jesus, if you're going to be his disciple, if you're going to be sent out on mission, live radically different, have a whole new way of thinking, here's one major snare, one major trap, is when you look around and see what does someone else have? Is that making them happy? I want that. I want to be happy too. And he says all kinds of covetousness, against all covetousness. This is a focus on possessions and wealth, but we can covet just about anything. Facebook and Instagram have been created for this exact purpose. We, have, we all now have full awareness and understanding of this. I just went on a vacation. We put the best moments of our vacation up on Instagram, and everybody uh, came up to us and said, looks like you had a wonderful trip. And I said, according to Instagram, it was magical. But there, there were a thousand other moments that were not nearly as magical throughout that trip. So we can take this teaching and apply it. Jesus has given us this permission to take this teaching and apply it to more than just money, but we are focused on money here in this passage. But we can use this to, to, to apply it to all covetousness because Jesus told us we could. It's right here. So we're not taking it out of context when we do that. So then he tells this parable, and I kind of will summarize this parable. Basically, farmer has a great year. And if you uh, are a farmer, know a farmer, you know that there is a number of things that you can do, wise practice uh, and, and planning and foresight, but there's a lot that's out of your hands as well, right? Sometimes it's just a great year, uh, the amount of sunshine or rain or lack thereof, it didn't freeze this year or it froze somewhere else, it's all kinds of things that affect the price of your crop, there's all kinds of, of uh, impact and influence to what happens in your uh, harvest. But his reaction is, what shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. It's such a windfall year, he doesn't even know where to put all of the stuff he's got. It's, it's so much more than he's ever had in his life. He needs to destroy his barns and build bigger barns in order to, to fill them up. As opposed to what, though? Right? Like, this sounds like wisdom. It sounds like wisdom to say, like, yeah, you're a growing business. You should build out the infrastructure to increase uh, the amount of production that you can have logistically. And, and, and if you have the ability to store it, it's wise to store it. And, and you can apply that and think of all the good things that you can do uh, when you've done that kind of planning. I mean, aren't you just a wise and good farmer? I mean, this feels like good farming practice. This feels like a little bit of, of a setup, a little bit of a mystery he says, okay, okay, everybody's listening. Okay, Jesus, all right, yeah, okay, good. Wise man, okay, we're talking about the wisdom of planning and saving and storing. And he said, I will, uh, uh, this is uh, 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample good laids up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And again, not a bad thing to look and see that you have been blessed in your life. Solomon gives us some, some encouragement to enjoy your life uh, in the book of, of Ecclesiastes. There's not necessarily something wrong with that. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily saying that he's, he's going and, and, and working even more. He's saying, now that I've earned, I can, I can rest and relax. This is kind of like the American retirement. You work and work and work and work until you get to age 65, and now, finally, you can rest, relax, eat, drink, be merry, golf, or whatever that you're going to do in retirement. But we all have this kind of like vision of what arriving looks like. But maybe, maybe for you, I want to I give an attaching point for every single person here. A moment, something that you could attach to. Because we're not all thinking about uh, retirement as being our <sighs> moment. Some of us are looking at, at, at something much closer. Man, once I just finished college... I can start to enjoy life and do good things, right? Then I can start serving, you know, and then I'll be working, and then I can be generous, and then I can give and tithe. And I mean, it, it, we, we spiritualize our moment of, because, because it would be greedy to say, like, <laughs> I finally got it, mine, 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 and now I can enjoy it all me for myself, Right? Like everyone would kind of see that and recognize that as greedy. So we, we, we try to justify it with like the good things we're going to do once we get to that po point. Like once I get to this point, then I can start doing good things with what I have. But until that point, I can't. I, I can't afford to be generous right now. So opposed to what... What is the folly? Because the word fool is used later. You heard it at the opening of this sermon. You heard the word fool. 
Opposed to what? Storing up, building bigger barns. What was the alternative of what he could have done with a windfall year? He had huge amounts of crops, more than he knew what to do with. Instead of building bigger barns, what could he have done instead? What should he have done instead? Is that the reason why he is considered a fool? And again, I want to give you some moments to uh, attach what will that moment of blessing look like in your life? It might be once I finally find the one, I'll be married. Once I'm finally married, then. Or if only I was married to someone else. Or if only, if only we had children, then. Or if only my children were just a little bit older. If only my kids oh, were young again. If only I get this job. If only I get this promotion. All I need is a 10% raise, and I'm going to take every bit of that 10% raise, and I'm going to give that whole 10% to the church. I can finally start tithing. If only I could have my loved one back. If only I can make it to retirement age. If only I can stay healthy and avoid getting sick. We all have an if only. Every single one of us. What's yours? What is the thing that once you had it, if I could only get to this place, if I could only get this thing, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be happy. Imagine that happiness. Start to picture yourself. I know you already have. You already have. You've already pictured yourself enjoying that moment. You finally arrived. You finally have it. What does your life look like? Where's God in that moment? Because God shows up and says, this moment, fool, 20, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Some of you thought of really good things. Some of you thought of really great moments. Let me ask you, do they go with you? The thing that you, you finally got, does it go with you after you die? And if you were thinking of something good and wonderful like a relationship to your husband or, or, or kids or beautiful kind of a, for me it's like a Christmas celebration when I'm 80 and I got kids and I got grandkids, does that go with me? Could God right then in that moment take my soul and say, fool, whose do these belong to now? What does go through? What does continue on? If we are, as Matt Baldwin said last week, 
If we are to fear not someone who could merely take our life, what is it that we could attach to that, will, that we will not experience fear, that we will not experience anxiety ever, that we can go through intense, incredibly intense times and not experience any fear or any anxiety? What could we attach ourselves to? What can we hope in? What is the purpose or meaning of life? If it isn't to reach or achieve or accomplish, it's, it's a new year, right? Resolutions, we'll have goals. We're working to get to something, working to get to a place. Is that bad? Is it all bad? We don't know the moment God's gonna say, your soul's required of you. So 20, verse 21, this is the very last verse. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this is the lesson. This is the application. It doesn't say, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. Period, end of sentence. So don't lay up treasure for yourself. Don't plan, don't save, give it all away. That's the key. It actually doesn't say that. It's so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So then... That's kind of a funny phrase, rich toward God. Rich toward God? The key is not to not lay up treasure, but it's to not lay up treasure and not be rich toward God. And just in case you're kind of thinking about like a way that you can have both, Jesus says that the heart cannot be divided. You will either love one or hate the other. You cannot have a divided heart. One thing has to occupy the highest position of your heart. One thing. You get to love one thing. Everything else is going to be opposed to that. And I know we're, we're trying to love multiple things at the same time, but that highest position, the thing that you will not sacrifice for, can only hold one object. It was designed for only one object. So you cannot love God and money, Jesus' words. And in fact, later in this chapter, the advice that, 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 Jesus, or that Jesus gives is that where your, where your uh, treasure lies, there your heart will be also. And since you cannot have a divided heart, you can only have a heart for the one thing, the one thing that passes on from this life to the next. In order to not fear, in order to not be anxious for this life, there has to be something we hold on to, attach to, that passes on from this life into eternity. This moment, this blink that is our lives is a small dot compared to the eternal existence after this. And you are either eternally with God or you are eternally apart from God. So what is it? What is the one thing that we can hold on to, that we can attach to? What does it mean to be rich toward God? One thing that was really helpful for me uh, that, I, that I remembered, because uh, right as we went into kind of the quarantine, remember 15 days to, to flatten the curve or something like that, that happened uh, 288 days ago or whatever, uh, that was in, in March, uh, 
uh, Pastor Matt said, I think we need to take a break from Luke. I think we need to go to 1 Peter. And man, was that so good. 1 Peter was so good. It's in our sermon archives. It's so helpful to go back and listen to the, the sermon series on 1 Peter. But I remember Pastor Matt teaching on this in 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 through 5, about like, this is kind of an idea of delayed gratification, but ultimate delayed gratification, okay? So uh, what I'm trying to get to is what does it mean to be rich toward God? Because if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes in order to not be a fool, what's the one thing we can hold, hold on to, to be rich toward God? I need to understand what does it mean to be rich toward God? 1 Peter, 3, 3, or first part, first Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a hope that cannot die. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he's conquered death so we don't have to fear death. To an inheritance, there it is, our inheritance, to be rich toward God that is imperishable. It lasts. What is this inheritance? Undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a treasure. This moment that you're waiting for, this, ah, oh, I can finally relax, I can finally enjoy and not fear or be anxious about what I have, it's yours already. You've already been given it. Brothers and sisters, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are his son, you are his daughter, your inheritance is already given to you. It's waiting for you. It's there. It's yours. And in fact, later, I wasn't going to go here, but uh, later I saw in verse 30, I'm not going to find it, but he says, that God, it is God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is coming up. This will be in the next couple of weeks. You'll be able to see. It is God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. What is it that you get, that we get? You get all of it. It's all yours. And so when we go to Jesus and say, will you settle this dispute so that I can get my inheritance? He's like, why would you just want that? I have, I have a plan to give you everything. I just need you to have a mindset for a little while that is your life. But I think there's actually more to that. Uh, Matt Baldwin was here. I mentioned his name a lot in the sermon. Uh, I actually was told I get a dollar for every time that I say his name. Uh, so we're up to five now, Matt, I think. Uh, he actually asked me a question. Uh, you know, to kind of personalize this message for me. He says, Brandon, what does it mean to you to be rich toward God? And uh, it, it, it's, it's uh, I got to keep it together. Uh, it struck a chord for me because being rich towards God has come at a pretty considerable cost for me. 
because being rich toward God was, it came at a moment when I, uh, when I was completely out of options, when I was at, completely at the end of myself, when I cried out to God, and he shows up, and he holds me, and he cares for me, I have experienced God more through the suffering and trials in my life. And every day I'm, I'm finding new challenges in my life. New things to be afraid of. I thought I had, I'd found all of them. But I'm finding new things to be afraid of every day. And what I'm finding that is... is being rich toward God is the amount that I need him because the amount that I need him is the amount that he shows up for me. The amount that I cry out to him and say, God, I don't know what I need. I've tried everything I can and it's not working out for me. Those are the moments where God shows up. I'm experiencing what it looks like to be rich toward God when I'm getting the one thing that passes through, the one thing that continues from this life to next, do you know what it is? It's God. He's here now and he's here for eternity. You can have him now, all of your inheritance, which is him. You can enjoy your eternal inheritance starting now. And so whether you're on the outside observing what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, welcome. We don't know the day that Jesus says, your soul is required of you. Everything you've built up, whose is it now? We even think about this, like we, we make a will to try and decide who it all goes to, who gets our kids and who gets our stuff. We don't know the moment. Why take the chance? Make a decision today. Follow Jesus. The invitation, even though Jesus was talking only to his disciples, allowing the thousands to listen in, the invitation was for any one of that crowd to, to move from that position into this position. At, at any moment, any one of them could have been. Jesus' disciples, he had the apostles, the 12, but his disciples, that grew and grew throughout his ministry. The people who would follow Jesus. At any moment, any person could be of the crowd to be a disciple of Jesus. And the only, the only difference was, I need that. I want that. So one of the ways that we can keep our focus on how are we rich toward God, let go of the things that we're pursuing, one of the ways that we can continually remind and bring our focus back to the riches we have in God is through communion. If you have communion, we're going to do this together today. I'm, I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment. But if you have your communion cups, this, this is. You want to be rich toward God? He gives himself to you. This is his blood. The one thing that passes through, the one person, in fact, that passed through from the next, into this world, to bring us to where he is, gave you his blood. 
And so if you're a believer today, join me in taking that blood, remembering the riches that we have toward God. And his body, he gave it to you. It was broken. It's ours. Salvation is ours. His inheritance is ours. Take his body. God, we need you. We need a new mind. We are not going to make it in this world. Our hearts are looking to attach to anything and everything. We look around and we say, I want that. They look happy. I want what they have. God, we need to be rich toward you. Otherwise, what do we have? Everything we've built, whose do they go to? We want the one thing that lasts, that passes through. God, will you be our if only? If only we had the maker of the world, the God of the universe, the savior of all mankind, if only we had that, if only we had him inside of us, then we could rest, relax, eat and drink and be merry and praise you, Father. We have it. We already have our if only. God, we thank you. We want to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.